Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack in Forest Lake, Minnesota. And today we're going to have an interview with author Sherry Bukowski. She wrote The Kaizen of Poker. And this is going to be our last interview for a while. At least that's what I've got planned. There's there's plenty of others who want to be on the show, plenty of others who have agreed to be on the show. But after today's interview, we're going to run uh, something new. Uh, we've done, I don't know, almost 20 straight weeks of interviews, which have been fantastic, very enlightening. But we're going to get back into a little bit more strategy-specific, uh, focused topic type of Things. And what we're going to be doing, I think, is going to work really well. It's, I think it's unique. I don't know if it's been done before. But basically, I'm going to be soliciting input from all of these pros, all of these recreational players, a ton of different people. If you want to be part of that, let me know soon. But I'm going to basically be building my poker strategy from scratch. I'm going to take away what I know, and I'm going to say, okay, if I'm building a poker, no-limit hold'em, tournament poker strategy... How do I build that up from the ground floor? And so I think this is going to be incredibly helpful, incredibly insightful, because we're going to get a number of different perspectives. So we'll get different ideas on how people approach building a strategy, including hand ranges and all of those sorts of things. And I think just a lot of concepts are going to be coming up through the discussions that are going to be super rich and super helpful with multiple perspectives from a variety of different folks, including some of the best players in the world who you've already heard from on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Just to tease that out a little bit, Some of the questions that I'm going to start with are real foundational questions. And these are the questions that I'm posing uh, to you guys. I'm posing out on Twitter, out on Facebook, and to the pros and recs who have agreed to be part of it. But the questions are really around uh, my personality. Based on uh, who I am as a person, how much should that influence the style of play that I adopt? Uh, How important is it that those things are consistent? So I shared a little bit about my personality and, and how well should we line up with that? Uh, also everybody has a different perspective on sort of what deep stack poker is. And so I'm starting this idea of of a comfort zone. Uh, how many big blinds does it take to feel like you're in the comfort zone where you can, uh, really do all of the tools that are available for you in your toolkit. So I want to get a handle on, on that because then I want to start looking at ranges when you're inside of that comfort zone. And so first I need to define what that comfort zone is because I think it's different for different people. I also want to chat a little bit about uh, how do people adjust their opening hand ranges by position. I know some people do it uh, looking at all 10 spots, and the range is a little bit different for each of those spots. Some people break it down to just uh, early, mid, late, and the blinds. Some people basically look at everything through uh, through the cutoff and then beyond. And so I, I want to get a handle on what are people doing, what are they thinking about it, what are the pros and cons of the different approaches, and then I will adopt uh, one of those approaches to move forward on. And then finally, I want to get into a little bit about um, assuming we're in the comfortable stack range and we're under the gun I want to start talking a little bit about what percentage of the hand should I be opening under the gun in that situation. And then also look at uh, the frequency of if I do raise under the gun and I get three bet, how often should I be calling? How often should I be folding? How often should I be four betting? So this is before we're actually building those hands. I just want to get an idea of what those frequencies should be. What's sort of an optimal approach uh, as we're starting to build these ranges Uh, in those situations. And I also want to talk a little bit about um, 
uh, what bed sizing should I use under the gun in the situation where we're all in the comfort zone? And also, I want to ask a little bit about limping strategy. Should I have a limping strategy under the gun? And if so, what should that look like? So these are some of the questions that I'm going to be posing over the next few weeks. And once we get some of those foundational questions, we'll move forward and then little by little build up my tournament poker strategy, including all of these ranges. And I'm not necessarily going to be ascribing to you all that that's the range that you should have, but I think the process is what's critical to that. Get a hold of me. You can shoot me an email, stevefredland at gmail.com if you want to be part of that. Otherwise, answer the polls out on Twitter and Facebook as they show up. Uh, I would love to have you do that. I think that's another way to collect some good information. So, sorry, normally I don't do a big, long intro, but uh, that is my intro piece. So with that, I just want to remind you, Running Aces Racetrack and Casino is our official sponsor. And if you're in the Minnesota area, they got a fantastic, cool, unique tournament coming up at the end of August. I believe it's August 22nd through the 26th. It's a two-day event with, I believe, five day ones. And ultimately what it is, it's a $210 tournament for $40,000 in starting chips. Now it's sort of unique in that it's a $150 buy-in with a $10 add-on. Each of those get you $10K in chips. And then you can do a rebuy at the table up until the registration deadline for $50 for another $20K. So you could pay $210, get $40K up front, or you could space that out and take the $20K anytime up until the registration deadline. And this is a tournament that we talked a little bit about with uh, Chris Fox Wallace uh, a couple of episodes ago. So if you want to think about strategically how do you approach that, uh, take a listen to that episode. But Running Ace is doing some cool, unique things. I think that's going to be a pretty big field. I'd be shocked uh, if it was less than 500 or 600 people. I actually asked the tournament director. He said the over-under that he's thinking about is around 550. So I think it's going to be a nice tournament. They got a 50,000 guarantee, which they'll blow that away. I'm not worried about that at all. So check them out, Running Aces. Uh, the website is runaces.com. And also you can get our, our podcast right through them as well, runaces.com slash poker. So thanks to John and, and uh, Dan and all those cool guys there. Uh, fantastic crew. So with that, uh, I want to introduce you to author Sherry Bukowski. Well, everybody, uh, thanks for, for hanging with us here. I am here with Sherry Bukowski, who is an author, a poker player, uh, written a ton of different stuff, has some really cool experiences, and I, I know you're going to enjoy uh, this conversation. Sherry, first of all, thanks so much for reaching out and for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Now, where are you calling in from? Atlantic City. I'm a New Yorker, but I live in Atlantic City now. So you're a poker player living in Atlantic City. That seems like more than just a coincidence. Uh, well, yeah, I used to play in New York City, and the games got raided. I used to teach at NYU. I'm a literary agent. I'm, a, I'm an author of over 35 books, and I used to go play poker at night in the clubs in New York. But the second time when the police raided the game... And uh, the policeman looked at me and said, you ain't lucky, are you, hon? <laughs> I stopped playing poker in New York and thought, where can I live near New York? And Atlantic City seemed like the best uh, decision. And it was a great decision. And so you're, more than, so you're more than just a, you know, yeah, poker's kind of fun whenever I can make the time for it. You're, you're a pretty serious uh, poker player. Yeah, I consider myself a pro. I declare it. I've won a lot, a lot of tournaments. And uh, so, but I'm a literary agent uh, by day and a poker player by night. But I take it very seriously, yeah. Because I was reading through your bio and looking at some of the stuff online, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where, 
where does she spend most of her time? Because it seems like she's living about four full-time lives. So, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> so, so you're, you're saying a literary agent is, is job one. Uh, you also play poker at night, but you're also, you know, you're, you've authored a number of books yourself, very eclectic books from what I'm seeing. Uh, are you still actively writing a lot or have you moved more into the representative side full-time? Well, I've represented, I've represented almost a thousand authors over the years. Many poker authors, Phil Helmuth, Mike Matisau, David Apostolico, Gary Carson, on and on. I think about 12 poker authors. And I recently represented Johnny Campus. Uh, Vegas or Bust is his mm. new book by ECW, same as my, my publisher. The last book I wrote, The Kaizen of Poker, yeah. is about my 35th book. It may be the fourth poker book I've written. I think it may be the last book. I, I like concentrating now on, I, I'm just so happy with it. So I like concentrating now on playing, improving, uh, being a literary agent, and just uh, enjoying life. Okay, so, so so we have to talk a bit about the, the Kaizen of Poker. So, uh, you know, I, I come from the business world, so I understand Six Sigma and continuous improvement and, and these sorts of things. Uh, I haven't read the book, so that's my acknowledgement to you, but I, I'm super intrigued by the title. And, and do you give us a little bit of an overview of, of what are you unpacking in that book and how are you applying some of these continuous improvement, uh, I guess, theories and practices into poker? I really appreciate your question. The idea is that the book is for people of all levels, beginner, intermediate, and expert, because whatever level you are at, you can always improve. And so the Kaizen of Poker is designed so that you can target which areas. There's a morning after checklist. What, What are the areas that you look at? Why did you lose yesterday? Or even why did you win? What areas can can use more improvement than others? And you go to that section of the book, and it gives you sort of a self-evaluation and some tips and strategies that specifically target that area. And you can always go back and can always review. I really put the kitchen sink in the book. And it was based on um, secrets the pros won't tell you about winning Holden Poker, which I co-authored with Lou Krieger. May he rest in peace. He was yeah. such a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Did you know Lou? Uh, I didn't, but I know the name and I know he was very well respected in the poker community. Yeah, he really was. I miss him so much, but I, I felt like I was erecting a well-deserved statue to him. I, I took all the strategies and I added strategies over the years. And I and I turn into this uh, formula, which I think is very very helpful uh, for improving. And, and the, the, what I noticed recently was that uh, ten people sit around a table usually playing, and and they don't realize that the most important strategy of the game, the most important aspect to becoming a winning player, is being able to read the cards of the other players as if they were see-through, as if they were, you know, face up. And the people sitting at the table, almost none of them think what the, what the 
what do the other players hold in their hands? What do they have? They don't even think it's a part of the game. Forget about it being the most important aspect of the game. They are on their radio, they're reading their thoughts, they're chatting, they're talking, they're they're showing their cards instead of instead of seeing what the other player was betting with. Like they couldn't care less what the other players' ranges are, what they're holding. And they can play, they manage, they have a social evening out, they may even win, but but they don't realize that in order to get better, in order to be a really good player, you must pay attention to the reading, reading the other players, the players, their tells, their cards, their their patterns, their betting patterns. It's uh, it's amazing to me. And when you finally get to the get to the moment where you're really good at knowing what the other people are holding as if their cards are face up, you feel like you're powerful, like you have ESP. I mean, it just becomes such a wonderful game that that's that's where my passion comes from for the game. Hmm. And I just take that and I, I try to improve it on, on so many levels. But I like teaching people about reading other players and reading cards. And, uh, I mean, of course, there's so many other there's so many aspects of the game, you know, bluffing and and uh, and playing the right cards and the ranges. But I don't start with what beats what. I mean, I always assume people know that and what what a good starting hand. I like to take it deeper, and I find even beginners can learn these strategies of reading cards. Yeah, when, when they pay attention. I'm sorry, yeah, and I think that's one of those things that, especially the beginning players, were, you know. Uh, then they don't necessarily they think about what they have right so they say okay i've got top pair top kicker i have two pair and they just they're thinking about it from a purely uh this is the what my hand is not even on a relative basis relative to the board they're not thinking about what the other players have and when right. they and when they start thinking about the other players have sometimes what you hear is somebody says well i put you on ace king and right well, <laughs> yeah, they think everyone has a pair or ace king and that's right it. exactly and or I, I figured you had jacks you know and i think <laughs> This this idea of helping, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do is help our audience, the people that aren't there, and a lot of a lot of you already are there, but helping people say moving from not just your hand to but to the other person's hands, and not just putting them on one single hand at the river, but this idea of of, of hand ranging initially and then allowing that to funnel down to a hand range at the end versus saying, well, you know, here's the one hand that I put you on. I'd love to tell you two stories, um, one from yesterday and one from, uh, and one from a couple of years ago. Um, let me start with the one from yesterday. Um, there was uh, a man at, at the, uh, in a poker room upstate New York. He used to own one of the most famous poker clubs in New York. I I think I remembered him. Um, I'm not going to say the poker club, but it was an underground club. It's not there anymore. And he used to own it. So it was an older man and uh, supposedly a lot of experience playing poker. But we're in a legal poker room. And he um, and he obviously was playing like an older man. He's playing good cards. So one player raises, and this man makes a big re-raise to $50. We're playing two five no limit. He makes it $50. And he got two callers. Very loose game. Well, the flop was Jack 4-4. Four, four. And the, the man, um, the older man, um, 
if you had any doubt that he had pocket aces, you didn't doubt it anymore if you were thinking about it, because he put out $190 on the flop of Jack mm-hmm. 4 4. One player called, and another player called. <laughs> so if you're thinking about it, one of the players probably has ace jack or jack and just thinks maybe you know he has the best hand and isn't really paying good attention. The other player, one of them has to have a four at least or jack full. I mean, they're calling they call the big race three flop and they're and they're calling the flop. So now the man who with the aces, it's his turn. The, the turn is a seven. It's his turn. What does he do? He goes all in for that $900. Like, we've got to know if he gave it any thought that unless those both of those other players are total morons, one of them is very likely to have either a full house or a four. So the guy, the first one who called, sold. And the second one never even got a chance to bet. He calls. When does he have? Quad fours. He flops (laughs) quads. And it was, and then so the man reaches in. The pot is twenty five hundred dollar pot. He collects it without ever making a bet. And yeah, the right. uh, and the guy with the aces shakes his head and buys in for another thousand. Yeah, I mean he I puts mean, in he puts in two hundred two hundred big blinds with one pair, and you know and yeah. not not realizing that playing it that way you're you're forcing your opponents to play optimally. Like the only thing that's going to call you in either of those spots is, you know, at least the second spot is, is something that beats you. So you a get, four you get, or a couple of fours or a full house, but he's already tested. Right. He tested on the flop, right? He tested with $195. Okay, it's a big test, but now he gets called. Right. Well, you have to give them something. The radar's got to be up there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, you don't have to lose your whole stack just because you have a pair of aces. I folded aces the day before. I raised pre-flop. I got two callers. The, fl- the flop had all kinds of things. I tested it. I got two callers again. And on the turn, everything beat me. So right. one guy bet, the other called, I folded, and they both beat me. One had two pair, and the other one had a stay. Of course. Right. You, know, you fold aces. I, I want to tell you. Yeah, I don't, before before you tell the second story, I'm curious what your take is yeah. on that. Uh, you know, I I have a tendency to believe that part of the reason people overplay pocket aces, besides just overvaluing the hand and not knowing what the other players have, is there something psychologically in that where we hate to get beat with our aces, but there's something in us that if we get beat with our aces, we somehow feel justified, or it's going to be a bad beat story that we can tell our play our, our fellow players. <laughs> there, there's almost like this this twisted sort of benefit from having our aces cracked. That's a little funny. I actually never heard that expressed. Because people, I mean, people are so excited to tell you that their aces got cracked. I mean, they're devastated of course, but I don't know. There's, there's some sort of a twisted thing or if it's a, or if it's a player that tends to be, man, I'm the, I'm the most unlucky player ever. And see, this just proves it. There's some, there's some, I think there's something there around uh, psychologically we we almost yeah. allow ourselves to be put in those spots where our great hands can get cracked because it affirms somehow that we are the most unlucky players on earth. <laughs> well, that's if you're thinking negatively. It's good to think positively, but when you reach a certain level, you feel better about folding aces than you do about – you feel great. Right. When you oh, fold yeah. Them. 
And it, it just feels bad. I mean, it's a beginner who might think, well, they're afraid to play past the flop. So they want to be all in. And I guess if I'm going to be all in, I want to be all in heads up with a pair of aces pre-flop. Right. And, but I'm only going to go all in like in a tournament if I'm short stacked and I need luck. And I'm going to want to be heads up all in pre-flop with aces in, in that situation. And in, if that's the case and I go out of a tournament, if I go out of a tournament, I would like to, especially if you're a beginner, I, you want to go out with aces. You want to say, I got knocked out of the tournament. Well, I had aces, I had kings, and I got beat by a guy who called right. me king three. That's what I do. But really, um, I once won a tournament for with 484 people. I came in first. It was an online tournament on Poker Stars. I won a seat into the World Series of Poker in a week in Vegas. First, they gave away two seats. It was a $33 buy-in, and I won a seat in the World nice. Series. So I was watching the leaderboard the whole time, and I was pretty much leading. I was near the top the whole time. But I never, ever had to go all in, and I never had any luck. I had pocket jacks back, but the only time I was all in was when there was a short stack, so I wasn't really all in. And and I didn't have any particularly good luck. I had only bad luck when I think about the jacks, a couple of hands where I had the better hand and it lost. I didn't have to rely on any rivers. I just kept playing the big stack. I just kept up, kept chipping up, chipping up, chipping up, playing against the shortest desk until I won that seat. And it was, it was so many hours of play, or 16 hours of playing. And uh, I think that was my greatest accomplishment. But when that notion of luck and being all in, if you stay well above the average, you never have to go all in in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, until you get... Yeah, if you're paying attention to the other chip stacks at the table, and you know, obviously luck comes in many forms. So you're lucky that you didn't run kings into aces. You're lucky that you didn't go set over set and, right. and those sorts of things. But you, what I'm hearing is you didn't need to suck out. You could actually just kind of manage your stack and be opportunistic and build your stack that way, and never have to uh, put your stack at risk, which is fantastic. But now you said That's it was your great, you said it was your greatest poker accomplishment. But I think I also saw that you had don't you have a World Series of Poker uh, circuit event oh, win yeah. also. Yeah, I got I won first place in the Showboat Ladies Circuit. Um, first place, uh, so I do have a WSOP necklace. Very cool. Trophy and um, yeah, I won just last week. I came in second in the Borgata uh, Ladies Tournament. I've done very well. I, I won a uh, Taj Mahal Ladies Tournament. A lot of first and seconds in ladies tournaments, and a lot of uh, final tables and. A lot of first places, but um, so you're you're kind yeah. of a be- kind of a beast, a beast from the east. <laughs> yeah, they don't really see me coming. I think I, <laughs> I like to be underestimated, and right. uh, I use that to my advantage. Uh, sometimes I, I, you know, I'm like everybody. Occasionally, I shouldn't really be playing, or I'll, you know, I'll make a bluff. It doesn't go well, uh, so I might not. Might not always. I might start playing a little too soon before I really have a lay of the land. I make it too many good cards to play. So I don't really get to fold for an hour, which I like to do. Right. And then I'll, I'll look like I'm playing badly. And I use that to my advantage because then I just kind of wake up in my seat and I, they don't see me coming. Hmm. They, they don't know. They don't expect things out of me. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I do want to tell you that other yeah. story about my great read. 
Um, it, one, there's a dealer in Atlantic City who thinks I'm the greatest card reader the world has ever known. He couldn't really believe it. He's still scratching his head. And it was really very simple. Just, I want to tell you how I did it because anyone could do it. And uh, I mean, even though I like think, him thinking that I'm brilliant, it was really mm-hmm. easy. Um, I was in a tournament and I, this, and uh, everyone limped. I don't encourage limping, but in this mm-hmm. particular hand, there was a lot of limping. So there was a little blind, a big blind, and there was a limp and another limp. So I limped. I don't remember what I had, 10 jack, who knows. And, um, and then it came around to the little blind. And the little blind was, was, um, was it the little blind? No, it was the big blind. I'm sorry, it's the big blind. It came around, and he was so excited that no one had raised, that he was going to get to play this horrible hand. Mm-hmm. I wish I could show you. He just, like, mm-hmm. checked with such enthusiasm. Like, his whole demeanor said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting to play this horrible, horrible hand. Right. And then the flop was Queen Jack Five uh, Rainbow. All, all three three differences queen jack five and now the guy lights up like a mm. like a christmas tree he was so excited and he could barely contain himself but he looks at the flop he's all interested and he he puts out like a small uh, you know a medium-sized bat and the next guy folds the next guy folds and now i'm the last one and i said i wouldn't even call five dollars I know you have queen five offsuit. And right, I told him. right, right. And he was like, what? And he said <laughs> queen five offsuit. Yeah. And the, the, I mean, but to me, it was obvious. Like, what yeah. horrible hand we have that now he's suddenly thrilled with the flop. It's only queen five and or jack five. <laughs> yeah, but jack five, you know, it still wouldn't be like such a mirror. He mm-hmm. doesn't have queen jack, you know that. Right. Yeah, he could have jack five, but queen five is a, somehow right. feels worse than jack right. five. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, th- so he thinks you're a, he thinks you're a a miracle uh, maker, and all you're doing is saying, "Well, just uh, apply a little bit of logic here. What would you be excited to see a flop for free with, and then get excited about that flop where you light up? I mean, there's not that many hands exactly. that fall into that category. I mean, it can't be queens, it can't be jacks, it can't be pocket fives because it can't it can't be queen jack so what could it be i mean it's not going to be queen seven you know what it's got to be queen five or jack five at at most i think (laughs) exactly and i the other one i said queen five but nobody else is paying attention i mean that's all i was doing was paying attention and that's that's what people don't do yeah that's why i like that oh that's fantastic i'm curious like you know when you when you think about things like that. Uh, I, I want to get back to the book a little bit. So the Kaizen of Poker um, and how it relates to that. So one thing I heard you say earlier was, um, I forget what you said, the morning after um, situation where, okay. you know, you, you just bust a tournament or the next day you're reflecting on that tournament. And you said, uh, you kind of figure out where things went wrong. And then that book, you can kind of go to that, those sections of the book and get some tips on how to improve that. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Does does the book itself help you identify where your holds are, or is it more of a, a toolkit for you know once you know where your holes are, uh, this can help you fill them more uh, effectively? 
And no, it definitely helps you to know what they are. Because if you look at each thing, you, you can apply it to yourself. Um, there's a list of characteristics of bad play and characteristics of great play, skills of great players and characteristics of bad play. So, um, so for example, characteristics of bad play, keep doing things they told themselves they would never do again. They always play with the the same with no variance or nuance it's very important to not be consistent that's how I'm, i was able to win the um the 484 players online i didn't even get to see tells but people bet with consistent betting patterns and consistent amounts and and i just took really great notes when i played online mm. so i played for you know several months online i had notes on everybody and when i got switched to a new table i had notes on half the players there set you up for a really good um you know strategy against the players but they only play their cards instead of watching the opponents and gleaning information they play feeling punches dogs birthdays they play nearly every hand to fit or fold they play the same cards the same way, regardless of the table position. They win Oscars for Bad Hollywood. <laughs> right. um, yeah, and then some good things you can do. Your game strikes the perfect balance between art and science. You only play when you are rested and alert. When you know whether you're rested and alert, you try to assess other players' skills and styles as soon as you arrive at the game. You fold a lot. Uh, the one who folds the most wins the most. <laughs> you know when to call it a day. You don't waste your money. You make good reads, good folds, and good calls. I mean, you know, if last night you called or several times somebody showed you the bluff, or or you just played too many hands, or you lost your focus. I mean, uh, if you look at if you don't know and you look at the list, you'll identify. And right. if you're if you're honest with yourself, you well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. Is if I was going to say, if you're honest with yourself, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that uh, one of the biggest characteristics that you can have in order to become a better player, in addition to, you know, reading books like yours and picking up the skill set and those sorts of things, uh, is, a, is a humility and an honest self-assessment process. I think so many players just say, well, I'm just unlucky. If I wasn't so unlucky, I'd be the best player on the planet. Um, and, and certainly some people seem to be luckier than others, but I think I think what separates the, uh, the 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 great players from the also rands is this ability to be honest about your play and to uh, be humble and say, "Boy, I just I think I messed that up again." I mean, what what's your take on that? It's funny. I mean, thinking about just this week, I again at the same table where the man went all in with the aces and lost uh, his whole staff, thousand dollars or more than a thousand. There was another player there who, when I sat down, I counted. He had about, um, I don't know, 2,000 in front of him, a lot of chips. And, um, and he was a little off, I don't know. Uh, like, he was slow. It took, he was, seemed a little unfocused, and then everyone had to remind him it was his turn. Mm-hmm. But I was off not playing well, and I do know that at a new game, all the other players, no matter how good you are, the home players in their hometown and their home felt, they have an advantage. They just know each other and what their ranges mm-hmm. are and what their fall goal is. And you just, it takes a lot of time to get up to speed on that. So I didn't play my best and I was losing and I bought in like my third buy-in. I was now in the game for like 
900. But my third buy-in um, was, uh, what, no, I was in the game for like, yeah, for 900. My third buy-in was $200. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to win it or leave this, that. And I made up my mind that I was going to play my very, very best game. But when I made that last buy-in, um, that's, and by then I really knew the players and I was just determined I'm winning and that's it. And, um, that guy said to me, um, you know, I give lessons, $200 an hour. Hmm. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure I could really benefit from your lessons. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say to him, but I was thinking, well, he could benefit from my lessons mm-hmm. too. But uh, I really meant it in my mind that mm-hmm. we could definitely benefit from each other's lessons. No yeah. question about it. And certainly, I don't blame him if he thought I was a pretty bad player. I wasn't <laughs> terrible. Like, I had a bluff that got looked up it shouldn't have. But it was, I wasn't good. I wasn't playing my optimum best game. And I didn't fold enough. So I was determined. And I did. I, I played awesome master poker at that point. And I turned my $200 into $1,100 nice. and cashed out. And, when, and I went and had dinner. I came back, and that guy who had 2000 now uh, down to like 200 and then I watched him give that away and go home with nothing. Hmm. So did, yeah. you offer, did you offer him lessons at that point then? No, I didn't. I, <laughs> no, I wonder you. if he realized. So, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, obviously you're, you're such an observant person at the table, and I'm guessing that translates off the felt as well. I'm guessing you're just an observant person person. Um, but, yeah. but as you're, as you're at the table and I'm specifically thinking tournaments, but this could be applied to cash as well. Mm-hmm. When you look around, what, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that are being made most often by players? And I've talked to a lot of the top level pros, your Matt Berkey's of the world and, and all of those guys. And we get, we get a lot of different answers from people, uh, but there are some common themes. I'm curious from your perspective as a as a person who's generally just more observant than the rest of us, uh, what are those things where you kind of are constantly saying, boy, that's a mistake or that must, person must be less experienced or what are the, what are the themes there? Well, I have a good 36 of them or more, but uh, <laughs> I would say the most common ones are playing too many hands. Once I yeah. get people to, to realize, I mean, and it's not even playing a hundred percent by the book. Because I believe you should play maybe 90% by the buck. You know when you're acting correctly. You can act incorrectly sometimes if you can outplay the other players. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, 90% by the buck and 10% of your own game, your own creative way. Um, but it still requires a lot of patience. So not having patience is a big one. Playing too many hands. Failing to pay attention to what other people are doing or their you know, what their cards might be or, or how they play or whether they're tight or loose. Um, not If you're in a bad game, not leaving the bad game. You can usually go to another game that's more beneficial to you. Sometimes there are too many maniacs, too many bad players can make the whole game a big, um, a big uh, crap shoot. And mm-hmm. you know, it just this whole luck fest, and I, I mean, so sometimes it's easier to play with good players. Um, so yeah, I think uh, playing above your what you can afford. Um, sometimes I I'll start with a, 
a short stack, like 200 in a cash game. And I'll try to build it up to a big stack. And then I try to go, I play in a poker room where I could go to another table with a short stack again. Because once I get to the point where I have a big stack, and now I get pocket aces or I flop a set, and I don't want to go all in. I don't want to make what might be the correct move. Um, because I don't want to risk all my chips anymore. Mm-hmm. That's when I th- think I need to leave. If I'm afraid to play my aces or play my cards correctly for fear of losing, um, then I then it's time to leave. And not leaving at the right time, I think, is a big mistake that people make. Um, trying to find the optimum time to leave is a skill worth developing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the cash. So in a tournament. Oh, in the tournament, yeah, my strategies are pretty much like I told you. Um, the size, the average chip stack is something very, very important to keep in mind during the whole tournament. It should be up on the, a really good tournament director will leave the correct average chip stack up on the, on the board the whole time. Uh, but if not, you can sort of guess how many tables, how many starting chips, multiply it by the number of players and figure out your average chip stack and stay above the average to try to chip up. Try not to go all in unless you have enough and you want to double up or they have a really short stack. You want to, you want to make them you know, play for their whole stack and you probably have them beat or you probably can get them to fold by putting them all in. Um, that's, that's good poker at a tournament level. Never, never giving it up to um, to luck. I, I, what do you, What do you find that the other players say are the uh, are the biggest mistakes? Yeah, I think I think playing too many hands is by far the the number one answer. Um, that, yeah. that you know, so many of the situations that we end up discussing uh, about river decisions or turn decisions or all in decisions. Uh, a lot of them are, yeah. are predicated by the pre-flop decision to, to play a hand or not. And so uh, that really is a, a, one of the biggest ones that comes up. Uh, the C-betting frequency is another big one that comes up. Uh, some yeah, being people, consistent. Being consistent, like continu- always doing a continuation bet, that's a big mistake. Mm-hmm. That people can really take advantage of anything you always do. Yep. Yeah, either you. some people not see betting enough, some people see betting too much. Um, yeah, those are big things. And then, then bet sizing is one that comes up quite a bit. That one's interesting because you get different pros that have different perspectives on uh, good bet sizing. But generally, bet sizing errors is one. Uh, you know, like yeah. almost like your your pocket aces example, where you're you're just betting. It's just a bad play to go all <laughs> in there because. You're, you're not going to get, you, know, you don't want ace jack to fold. You don't want pocket tens to fold. You don't want pocket queens to fold. Uh, right. and, so, and so you're not going to get any value from those hands that you're beating that would otherwise call a reasonable bet. And you're going to only get called by the hands that are beating you. So it's just such a bad play. Exactly. But, but, you know, bad players don't see it that way. They just say, oh, I got super unlucky. Well, true, your aces did get cracked. But the whole debacle of losing your stacks never should have happened. So exactly, those, those it, wasn't sorts of it wasn't unlucky. It wasn't. You can go away feeling that you could say that, but you're lying to yourself if you say that. It was it was unlucky to have your aces cracked, but it but it was, um, I, I guess, poor skill that caused you to lose your entire stack. It usually is. Yeah, unless it's like a one outer. Of course. Um, on. Yeah, somebody draws out clubs right. and you're all correctly with your full house, aces full, 
which happened to me in the biggest oh, game I ever played. Yeah, but I walked man. away from that game. I walked away from that game a winner. Yeah. yeah Slots eight full of queens and the guy turned quite queens. Yeah. I tricked him putting me all in. That was a 10 20 no limit game. It was uh, the biggest yeah. game I played. But I was so proud of myself. I didn't give up the game. I, I bought in again and I ended up a winner. I couldn't believe it. Well, it's a it's a game of decisions, as you all know. And I think if you if you continue to make the right decisions over the long run, that's going to be in your advantage. But there's, uh, you know, if if somebody gets a one outer, it's a two percent chance on the river. Uh, they're they're actually they're supposed to win that one out of fifty times. I mean, not only are they going to, but they're actually supposed to. <laughs> that just happened. That's to be true. Their you know, it's it's kind it's of. A, statistic thing or you know people get it in as an 80 to 80 20 favorite they get it all in pre-flop with aces versus kings well you're actually supposed to lose that one out of five if you're if you're winning more than four out of five you're, you're beating the odds like you are supposed to Absolutely. lose though but people don't really you know grab that statistical side of things uh and the other, the other thing, one of the other big things that that is a common theme i think for people is they say uh the less experienced players don't seem to have a plan so they, you know, they raise preflop, then they get three bet, and then they go in the tank. They have no idea what to do because they weren't expecting it. Or, you know, they continuation right. bet and they get check raised. Um, the, this idea that oh, I, I have no idea what to do now, and they're kind of trying to figure it out on the fly. Versus, uh, the more experienced players are going to already know. I'm going to, you know, bet fold, bet four bet, you know, whatever, whatever is going to happen there. They they kind of already have a plan. And and they also the bad players will chase too many flushes, chase straights mm. when they're not getting the right odds. And also, um, when they don't, when they're not uh, drawing to the nuts, they'll draw mm-hmm. to they'll be drawing dead to the second right. death. Terrible. And also, people when they learn how to bluff, they'll bluff too much. Or right. uh, really really tight players will never bluff. That's just as bad. I don't know which is worse. But, right. but being consistent is very, very bad. That's that's right up there with playing too many mm. hands. Yeah. So if, if, if I ever write a book, one of the chapters is going to be called "Drawing Dead and Getting There." Exactly. That's <laughs> one of my, one of my favorite things to do is to is to chase the nut flush on a paired board and and get there when they already have the full house. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, so oh, I'm. I'll oh, go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to tell you about another really funny read, a uh, good story that tells. Uh, if you want, you want to hear another one? Yeah, let's go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a cash game, yeah. And um, there was a really tight man, older man again, um, the kind of man who never, ever bluffs and who always wins with ace king and then always tries to be tricky after that. Hmm. Otherwise, it's... They've never placed hands, especially under the gun. So if they raise, they know everyone's going to fold. So if they have aces or ace king, they limp. And, and you can pretty much profile people who are going to do that, who are going to play like that. And they right. always do it. So that's what the situation was. The man was, oh, oh, the thing about this man, though, was he had pure white hair and he had a big, giant, bushy white mustache covering his, covering his lips. He couldn't see his lips. Uh, you hardly see his lips under this mustache. He had dark sunglasses and he had a hoodie. He was just like the Ian Palmer. Okay. And he limped, so he was really afraid of showing tells, and he's obviously aware of tells. So, um, so he limped under the gun. And immediately, of course, I said to myself, pocket aces, 
red flag, pocket aces, pocket aces, I pulled right. it. I don't even know what it was. And I don't know, there were three other people in the hand. And then the flop came and he had an ace. And I don't know what else, but there was an ace on the flop. And that man with the, um, the only part of his body that you could see, which was his lips under, barely underneath the white bushy mustache, it made like a twist, twist, like a, a oh, you know, what, he couldn't help himself. Mm-hmm. So immediately I know he flopped instead of Asa. Right. Just because he was looking. As he looked at the flop, I watched. And then he checked. And of course mm-hmm. he check raises, then he bets, he gets two callers all the way to the river, it's a big pot. You're like and just shaking you your head. <laughs> yeah. Three aces, whatever, probably a full house at the end. And he took down a big pot. And if anyone had just looked at his little mouth make that tsk tsk, like I did, hmm. if it, how could they lose one chip to him? <laughs> So that's how bad players are or how much better yeah. they could be. Yeah. If they just do a little bit of scouting and paying attention. Right. And that, yeah. that's sort of the thing. I think that's, that's sort of the rub is that a lot of players are just, you know, it's their hobby. They're just going to have fun, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that, that's great. But, you know, if you're serious about improving the game, those are the, I guess I would say little things, but they're not really little things, but those are the things that are going to improve your game. You start paying attention to players. When you're out of the hand, you start hand ranging somebody just for the fun. Consider it a game. Think, okay, I'm just yes. gonna, you know, I'm, I'm out of the hand, but I just want to see this guy open uh, under the gun plus two. Uh, let me just practice hand ranging here and hope it goes to showdown so I can see how I did. Uh, you know, those are the things that are going to move you exponentially from where you are to, uh, to the next level. And I know a lot of us recreational players always say, well, I don't have time to learn the game. I don't have time to watch videos, read books. And that's actually a pretty fair assessment for a lot of us because we're, you know, we're working full time. We have families, those sorts of things. So then that to me is even more reason when you go play to maximize that time that you have at the table to, to not just play, but to learn. Exactly. It's a game within a game. And, and why be there? If it's not interesting to you, um, if, you're, if you see two people in a hand, you're not in the hand, think about it. Who is going to win that hand? And right. why? And why? Yeah. yeah, and why? And how would you do it differently? How can you make the most money? Not just win the pot, but win the most. And why did that person go all in when he wanted somebody else to call and, and maybe he could have made more than right. he made. And, and why, when somebody says, um, it, here's, here's the situation. One guy bets, the other one sold. First guy goes, you want to see? And the second guy goes, no. Mm-hmm. Like, why? I'm always like, it's I will. I, I'd like to see. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm out of the hand saying, yeah, I want to see. <laughs> the guy who says no says so much about him. So you chalk that up. You're sitting at the table. And you right. Say, okay. He doesn't care what other people have. That's good to know. Which means he doesn't know how to use it. He doesn't know how to use it. He doesn't pay attention. He doesn't care. He's just playing his cards. Good. I'm going to play him like that. And then also, um, one player bets, another player folds, and and, I'm sorry, one player bets, another player calls on the river. And the hand's been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Everyone's wondering, what is it? What is it? And the second player, the random player, so excited. He oh. shows you they clean, and the first one looks and says, "Oh, and folds." Yeah, I know, you know it drives me nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
But then, of course, you get information about that second player, but you already knew they were terrible. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> I do love being that first. I do love being that first guy when I, you know, goes bet call or just goes check check on the river, and the second person shows their hand. And if if I lose, I don't have to show. I mean, I love being in that spot, but. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you're the last one in that spot. So many times if it goes check, check on the river, the first person doesn't want to show their hand, but I just sit there and wait for them to show it. And I, I always, you know, I'm not trying to be that guy, but you either need to muck or show your hand. If you muck, that'd be great. Cause I don't have to show, but, I know they, but, but don't get angry at me for waiting for you to flip over your hand. Exactly. People do get mad at me. It's like, they don't do. you realize that was rude or blah, blah, blah. No, <laughs> I didn't realize any such thing at all. It's the I'm rules. Like, oh, I, you know what I tell them? If they if they bet, I, I'm really actually gotten I've gotten very very good at making good calls on yeah. the river, good calls and good calls. But you know, it's wonderful to make a good call. Like you read them, are they they make a big bet, and mm-hmm. their big bet says they want you to fold. Right. Give some, you know, sometimes it's a tie. But you, you can see, you really were, you're pretty sure they were on that flush draw and they missed. Yeah. And yeah. now they make a big bet and they think they can get you off it because you've been playing pretty tight. Yeah, I'll make that call and wow. And then, um, uh, I was, uh, I was going to say, well, but, yeah, yeah, people are amazed yeah. that you made the call, but you're like, well, it was actually pretty straightforward because they, I mean, it went check, check on the turn. The river was a blank and they fired big. It just, doesn't seem like that card could have helped them and why didn't they bet the turn if they were already ahead and you know so you make a you make a hero call and sometimes you're wrong but when you're right people are just like oh my gosh that's amazing and it's kind of like what you had said earlier it was sort of a pretty easy logical puzzle and you know what they'll do they'll hold on to their cards and they'll say this is what i remember what i was going to say they'll hold on to their cards and they'll say oh you got me or something like that yeah show me then and then and then they'll hold their cards. And mm-hmm. they'll say, no, I, can, I, I say to them, feel free to muck it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can show or you can muck. Yeah, you have two choices here. They'll say, good call. Okay, well, let's see then. Yeah. Because I, I only, called you, or, <laughs> I only called you with King High, so it might not have been a good call. <laughs> 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 show me your pocket twos and you can have the pot. <laughs> or, or, muck, or, or muck them, which would be even better. Yeah. yeah, I like to say, feel free to muck it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Even though you want to see, I, I kind of know. I don't care if other people see at that moment, truthfully, <laughs> because I, I'm, I know and I just yeah. want to be right. Yeah. Well, our, unfortunately, our time is already starting to run. This, this, this time is going by super fast, Sherry. But uh, I'm curious, uh, you've got some other poker books. Let's quickly talk about those as well. So the Kaizen of Poker is your, is your latest, I, b- I believe, but you also have uh, secrets of pro yeah. secrets the pros won't tell you about winning hold'em poker the rules of poker yeah, no, we don't, yeah. Tell, yeah tell me a little bit about the others yeah i am the author of many many books including right. three other poker books but they're out of print so oh they are okay poker is the only book that's still in print when this publisher ecw fabulous publisher in canada when they um when they uh gave me a contract for this book they asked me to have the other one put out of print because they didn't see so it was a good year or two in between and uh yeah uh so those books are no longer available okay so another book i wrote is the complete idiot's guide to getting published but that's on a totally different subject unless you want to publish a well, well, it's just super interesting because I, I know I've never interviewed anybody who's who's written a book uh, anywhere near the title of things like 
uh, sexy city cocktails <laughs> or put your <laughs> put your house on a diet. Uh, the Downtown Girl's yep. Guide to Wine. I mean, these are a very eclectic, interesting sort of uh, uh, body of work that you've done. So it sounds like, I'm assuming if you've got these interesting books that you've written, everything from poker to uh, to all of these other pieces with wine in the cities and getting published, and now you're doing all those things supporting authors. And yeah, you, interesting uh, portfolio means you probably had a pretty interesting life as well. Oh my gosh, yes. And as a literary agent, people always, uh, they query me with their memoirs. And I always say to myself, you know, if their life isn't, usually their life isn't half as interesting as mine mm-hmm. has been. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty. it's been a pretty charmed life too. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I don't write my memoir because it takes a different kind of uh, writing. I, maybe I could do it, but... You, uh, I'm. I think I'm really good at writing expository. I'm really good at grammar, and uh, yeah, yeah, I speak good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I good speaker. <laughs> I good speak, but uh, yeah, but it's still the kind of writing that you need to write a memoir. You need to be able to express things in a way that no one else can express mm. them. Every no cliches. Every sentence you write should be so unique and so interesting and it's exhausting it's, it's uh and it mm. takes a special kind of a skill and i don't know if i could do it but i don't think i want to it's a lot of work writing well, a, is a lot of work <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you say that i think even even just your comment there uh gives me insight into why you're probably a very good poker player just that self-awareness again of saying um I just don't know, you know that. Your yeah, I just yeah. don't know that I'm good at that. And being, being okay and confident enough in yourself to say, yeah, that's not a strength area of mine. I think that's an important part of poker as well to be able to say, you know what, uh, I've, I've got a really good buddy. He's a recreational player, uh, and he he talks about his limitations quite a bit. He'll say, you know, I'm just not comfortable playing post flop out of position. Do I want to get better? Of course I do, but he he recognizes that about himself. So he can adjust his pre-flop decisions and some of his post-flop decisions around that uh, discomfort. Yeah. And I think that's an mm-hmm. incredibly uh, incredibly great gift for him as a player because he's honest yeah. and confident enough to be able to say, that is a weakness of mine. Yes, I need to work on it, but I'm not going to keep putting myself in a situation to fail when I know that's a weakness. He's a much better player than the guy at the table who goes, you called my raise with Jack three? Mm-hmm. and." Uh, and then you flop Jackson threes, and oh, and, and then and then you bet, and then I called, and you bet, and I called, and you bet on the river, and I called again. <laughs> but you, with your Jack three, you were terrible. You're a horrible player. Man, yeah, <laughs> the man who thinks his better cards should always hold up, and you should always do what's going to make him win. And then he speaks vocally, and he'll speak about bad players. Oh, right. you're in every hit. Oh, you call every raise. Right. I mean, he's the one who's bad, much worse than the guy who calls every raise. Yeah, the, guy with, the guy with Jack, Jack 3 just smiles, stacks your chips, and says, yeah, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Keep, keep the ruse going. The flop raiser, the guy who raised, or, or imagine telling Doyle Brunson, right. raised with 10 dudes? How, right. how could you? You're horrible. <laughs> 
Well, Sherry, uh, this has been delightful. It's been a pleasure getting to getting to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, how, I'd like to know, you know, how can people connect with you? I don't know. Do you have a, a social media presence or a website that people can go to to either uh, find out more about the Kaizen of Poker or just uh, your other work? Thank you. I do have a website, and I am the only Sherry Bykowski in the world, but Sherry is spelled S H E R E E. And right. my website is Sherry B, S H E R E E, B is in Bumblebee, E E. Nice. Sherry B at, at SherryB.com, and my uh, email is Sherry B at AOL.com. Oh, nice. Okay. Very easy. Yeah. Easy peasy. Well, thanks again and for your time. I'd love to hear now. Then the next thing that we need to hear from you is get your name on a, on a World Series of Poker bracelet. Oh, that's yeah, that will happen. I bubbled in the World Series. I won. I won my seat twice, and the second time I made it to the evening of the third day. I was an hour. I was an hour away from the money, and I oh, the main event. Staff. The main event. Uh, I was an hour away from the money with oh. the big staff. Yeah. Hands instead of leaving and uh, waking up with in, in the minimum cash uh, situation and then playing. So I said, oh, I came here to win and I had big hands, but yep. it was a mistake. So uh, yeah, that was me. It was a mistake. Next time I, I win my way in, I will, I will prevail. You'll awesome. <laughs> well, we'll look, look forward <laughs> to watching you on ESPN. But but Thank seriously, Sherry, thanks again for your time. Good luck with the book and with uh, all your other adventures. Thank you. Great to meet you. All right. Take Thank care. You. All right. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Sherry, for your time. And a reminder, next week, at least my plan is to start digging into building my own personal strategy, which with uh, certainly application beyond just myself. And I'll make sure that the content is geared so it helps all of us who are building our game, thinking about our game, thinking about tweaking our game, who have maybe identified holes in our game and are looking for uh, how we can plug those. I think this sort of process is going to be helpful for all of those situations. So please stay tuned. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas, shoot them to me, stevefredland at gmail.com or at Rec Poker on Twitter or the Rec Poker Facebook group. All right, everybody, have a good week, and we will chat with you next week. <laughs>